Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. I'm Sam Wilson. Joining me, as always, Zach Schneider and Liz Tory. Today, we're going to be reviewing Stranger Things season one, the first season of Stranger Things, going back to a uh, kind of a modern classic of of media at this point. Uh, we're all going to say why we actually go against the grain and hate this season very much. But before we do, uh, how's everybody doing, Zach? I know you and I have been having some interesting karma lately. Yes, uh, the car troubles have been fun. Uh, you know, yesterday I hit the road, it's like, oh, battery's looking a little low, it'll be fine. And then, uh, you know, a good uh, seven-eighths of the way to the dealership, all of a sudden the battery just straight up fluctuates and then dies on the road. And I'm like, I'm just gonna drift into this neighborhood here. <laughs> um, recently heard back on that, apparently whoever sold me the car put in the wrong size battery. So the alternator has been, like, really struggling the entire time I've had the car um, with the battery. So fortunately they got the whole thing replaced, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun dealing with that. So it, so it actually kind of like fucked up the alternator itself as well. And that was what was going down. Yep. It fucked up the alternator. And then yesterday the alternator just completely died. Couldn't handle it anymore. So I had to replace the battery, had to replace the alternator. I was thinking it had to have been something like that because you can drive on a dead battery. Like all you mm-hmm. have to do is jump start it and like as like once the engine started, you're 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 Gucci. Like it doesn't usually matter if the if the battery's dead as long as you can get it started. So yeah, the so I knew there there had to be some something going on with it, but I'm glad that they, they figured that out and uh yeah, I got that got that fixed up for you. Liz, how's your car doing? It's getting old. It's a it's a 2012 Subaru Impreza. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to trade it too in bad. for it. No, yeah. I I love the car. I love the car, but yeah, I'm, I'm ready for a Tesla. Yeah, yeah I gotcha. <laughs> well, just wait until you need to find the cheat code to uh, unlock the door in case of a fire. You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Down back forward forward B. Exactly. Yeah, I also was having some uh some some car issues as well. I mean that's where Zach was actually taking me to go pick up my car when his car, you know, <laughs> ex- exploded. But my mine is all good. Like it was it was one of those it was like I drive a Prius, I love the Prius, but it was it was like an issue with the hybrid system. But it turned out that it was a problem that was covered under warranty. So I was glad I actually brought it to Toyota instead of like just some other garage, because some other garage probably would have, you know. Mm-hmm. charge me out of the ass to pay like it's a major you know system yeah. type of thing which i was like you know i feel like i should bring this to the dealership because it just feels like if you especially since it's like a hybrid specific issue it's like you know toyota's gonna know how to fix this and it turned out it was under warranty so i, I was able to get the so to get the free uh repair on, on that so it was nice but yeah no it's it's been it's all been good otherwise yeah just <sighs> weird weird car stuff <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're karma today. All right. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and slide Ryan into Stranger Things, where we see a lot of vehicles from the 1980s. Uh, which uh, they, I'm telling you, they made they made their cars. They knew how to make cars back then. 
I say in my old grandpa voice, actually, the carps today are probably better. But anyway, spoilers start here for Stranger Things season one. We're going to start by talking about these characters. Uh, there's kind of the different groups of, you know, kind of the different age groups that, that are on this show. We'll start with the adult characters. We got Hopper and Joyce are kind of the, our, our main adult characters. What do we think of these two and, you know, David Harbour and Winona Ryder? Like, do we do we like how do we feel about these characters in the first season? They take a little while to get used to with Hopper. It takes a while to understand fully who he is because he seems kind of very stereotypical at the start that he's a small town cop who really doesn't care that much about doing his job is, you know, consistently late, doesn't seem to take much seriously, is out of shape. And then over the course of the series, you start to realize that he doesn't necessarily always believe everything he's being told, but he does remember it. He does latch on and focus on to details. Everything that Joyce is saying, everything that he hears at the coroner's office, um, all the little incongruities he does put together himself. Um, he does actually realize, even when he goes to the lab and he realizes, like, hey, that footage they showed us is absolutely fake. Does not describe the night in question at all. I like how much he defies expectations at the start. That's also just kind of something I like about the season in general, is that it does end up defying expectations for the most part. But um, I really like... Not exactly his evolution, but seeing, learning more about Hopper and who he actually is over the course of this season. Hopper is just fun. Uh, <laughs> David Harbour brings this this energy to characters. Uh, we went to school with a, a, a kid named Jordan Hill, and he was a fucking phenomenal actor. And David Harbour reminds me of, of Jordan. And a lot of his mannerisms and his energy and the way he speaks. So the actor felt very familiar to me when I first started watching this. Now, I was excited going into this because when this first came out, it had Winona Ryder in it. And she hadn't done anything for a while. So I was excited to see her. And let me tell you, her work in this is fucking phenomenal. She shows that she is a master of her craft. She shows that she is still on top of it. But David Harbour comes in as this comparatively new guy, and he just blows me away. I, I love the energy that he gives to Hopper, and I love that, I love that he like just adds more and more and more and more. It's like getting to watch an improv actor build onto a character with every episode with him, especially in this first season. And I, I think that he makes even the slower moments in the season feel like they're a good pace. Yeah, I think fun is the right word. I think he's one of the more consistently entertaining characters in the show. Even at the beginning where we think he is a more, more of a stereotype, he's just such an entertaining character. Like, he's, he's a familiar archetype, but he's really fun to watch, I think. And I and I think a lot of that really does come from David Harbour. I think David Harbour immediately elevates this character. It's really fun seeing him kind of take this, this, this kind of leading role because he was really just playing supporting roles before this show. Hmm, yeah. um, he was he, like, he was one of those actors... 
you would see pop up and stuff, you know, it's like, oh, he was that guy who was in that thing. And then this show really put David Harbour on the map, you know, like he became he became an A-lister mm-hmm. because of this show. And you're right with Winona Ryder, of course, like she was very much an icon from the 80s and 90s. And so having her uh, step into this show, which is, you know, the, this bit of 80s nostalgia, it makes sense that we have somebody like Winona Ryder kind of at the center of that. And it's like with Joyce in this first season, like it. it her story gets a little bit frustrating at times because like we've got we get this thing where it's like we know the audience that she knows that 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 we can take her seriously as audience members because we know something's going on but it gets a little frustrating of like nobody nobody around her really believing her and thinking that she's insane uh but it's and and i know that's it's kind of the way it's supposed to be it's just you know it's one of those things that it sometimes like that that incongruity between like what we the audience knows versus what the characters know it can be a little bit frustrating because we want the characters to get caught up to speed type of thing for me personally on the rewatch this new season people the people she needs to believe her start i think believing her at about the right time um, i would agree with that too yeah where you understand why everyone thinks she's insane what she's saying is crazy and her performance of that is great too where she knows it sounds crazy she knows it's insane but she also knows what she experienced um seeing her deal with that you know, questioning of her own sanity um, while also, you know, fervently believing in Will. It's it's a good journey. And again, right at the point where you think it's going to become completely unbearable for people to stop believing her, you have Hopper and Jonathan realize, oh, shit, she's probably right. Or at least that there is mo- more there. Exactly. I do like that those two characters like really start to like I I love the moment in in the show too where Hopper kind of realizes that something deeper is happening and he he at first thinks it's some kind of government conspiracy, which it is. It's just not necessarily like he has a following this thread that leads him more towards Eleven than towards Will, but he doesn't realize that. But yeah, it it really is like I and and I do like their dynamic throughout the series. I go back and forth on Winona Ryder's performance in this first season. Actually, like I am actually one of the people that I understand that you know Joyce this entire season has has a very focused goal which is get Will back and everything she's doing is about getting Will back and I appreciate that and I enjoy that and and I understand why the stakes are high for her. The stakes need to be high for her. There is a, a feeling that, you know, like every single scene, she's, she's, her energy level is about an 11, like every single fucking scene. It's like, wow, she's like, <laughs> sh- uh, like, I, it's, yep. it's almost borderline overacting to me, but at the same time, I also get it and I go back and forth on it. Okay, I grew up on a dairy farm in the summers, and when my grandfather would separate the calves and the cow, they would act like this. She had that energy that the cows would would have, and I, I'm not calling Winona Ryder a cow, but I'm saying it's an animal. <laughs> it's an animal. It, it's very animalistic between her and trying to get her kid so much so that she forgets her other kid a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan just standing back there with his arms folded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love her performance in this. She's just that level. She hyper focuses. Yeah. No, yeah. she she does hyper focus, and I think the character works like and I and I like not to jump ahead, but like I, I like Winona Ryder more the further the show like as we get to the later yes. seasons, I actually yes. like her performance a lot more. I completely agree. And I 
I understand your argument. Yeah. And yeah, I go back and forth on it because, like, it, it's always like I justify it for myself saying it's like, yeah, like everything she's doing is about getting Will back. But at the same time, like, it's understandable, but it doesn't necessarily lead to the most dynamic performance when literally all she's doing is going <laughs> yes. after this one thing. You yeah. know, it, like, yeah, I don't know. But I also understand why it is that way. So I, I can't really, I can't really criticize it too much at the same time. What makes it work for me is, if anything, just. Just the kind of fierceness of her intensity. Um, I love the contrast between the first time that she's ordering supplies at her store. It's like, oh, you know, I've never taken a sick day. You know, this really <laughs> means a lot to me. This is the worst thing about it. Go through that the second time she goes to the register. It's like, just ring me up. God damn yes, <laughs> exactly. I love the first advance she asks for. Will you give me this? Will you give me this? Hey, how about a pack of cigarettes? I need that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I also want to go back to one thing with Hopper. You mentioned I love his energy. There's the one scene when he starts to figure out the conspiracy and he goes to the uh, morgue to look at Will's body and he tries to first um, bluff past the guard. And it's like, oh, yeah, a band at the station called me to come by. Just that moment (laughs) where he's like... Yeah, then he just punches him out. I just, exactly. <laughs> I love that performance. There's, there's a Han Solo energy that I think Hopper has. Yes. Like, it really does remind me of Absolutely. that. You know, it's like, oh, we're fine here. We're all fine here. How are you? Boring uh, <laughs> conversation anyway, you know? Like, it, it really does. It really does remind me of that. And, yeah, like, he's, he's such an interesting and, like, he, I think he is a very dynamic character in, in this first season. Like, in finding out about that backstory with his daughter. Is it a cliche backstory? story maybe but it, it, he plays it so well that like you really do feel for that of you know this yes. this father who who lost his daughter so or like his performance during those flashback scenes too like it's so good you feel oh, that, that heartbreak God. you feel the mm-hmm. love that he has for his daughter Ugh. and you understand how he got to the place that he is now when we first kind of kind of meet him in the show too it's just absolutely uh, I guess the only other like major adult characters unless I'm forgetting anybody are the, the Wheeler parents which I just I, I I just, I just love the Wheeler dad. It's just the fact that he's just so fucking just absentee the entire show. It's like, listen, just listen to your mother. Uh, I find myself wishing that the dad is doing some crazy shit on like weekends or something that nobody else knows about. Because I both like and dislike how much of a non-entity he is. Because it is just kind of hilarious how much of a non-entity he is in his children's lives it's like wow this man does not connect to anything whatsoever good lord <laughs> he's a very 80s dad he he yeah. has his work and he has his alone time fuck the family <laughs> exactly well here we do find out the more we kind of get into it like and, and again this is also it's jumping ahead a little bit but i'll, I'll just like kind of briefly like with, with with the karen wheeler character like as we get into later seasons we kind of find out a little more about her and we find out the fact that she did kind of settle for this nuclear family because that's what yes. she's kind of expected to do type of thing that's like, what she was forced she, into she kind of had her own hopes and dreams and wasn't really able to to, to accomplish those because of just her status in society as as a woman and so she's like well 
I'll just I'll do the I'll do the housewife mom routine. And I, I do actually I, I like Karen. Like, again, we, we find out more about her as the show goes on. But I, I know uh, Cara Buono plays her, I think, really well as well. So but the, the Wheeler parents are just kind of a presence throughout the entire show. But I also agree. I, I enjoy how much of a non-entity the, the dad is. It's like <laughs> <laughs> this has nothing to do with the, the adults or anything. Well, it kind of does. I remember first watching this and I was taken aback by noticing people smoking inside. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh, it's the 80s. <laughs> And then exactly. I remember, I remember that was a big to do in the first season that so many people were complaining that they had so much cigarette, so many people smoking cigarettes, but it was the eighties. And I, I don't know, being, being someone who was born in 82, I always remember someone smoking. It's just one of those things. I think that it was a good ad. But I just think that it was hilarious that the biggest complaint <laughs> from people was the amount of people smoking in the scenes. <laughs> well, it really is a thing. Like, if this show had been made by Disney, then nobody would have smoked because Disney has Disney like has a thing about not smoking yes. on screen. Like, literally, mm-hmm. like if you notice, like. And name any scene from any like Marvel movie where anybody yep. smokes a cigarette. There, yeah. It never it never happens in in the MCU. Nobody's ever seen smoking ever, and even even in the ones that take place in the past, like you know, like uh, yep. like even even in Captain America: First Avenger, nobody smokes. Like you know, Which it's, it's like <laughs> exactly. Um, but that's because that's a Disney thing, and like I'm I'm actually glad. Like and listen, I'm I'm not pro smoking or anything like that, but no. like I I do think I do think that. That it does add to that 80s flavor that everybody's smoking all the time. It actually exactly, really does. Yeah. You know? It, it sells it it kind of sells you on the on the date era as much yep. as the old phones and yes i mean well yes. let's see let's let's take a moment and just talk about the 80s flavor for a second like i really do adore like the way that they filmed this 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 show with kind of the, the sepia tone and the subtle film grain over everything the music which is very synthy the entire time you know that that awesome opening that i never skip i even though they have the the skip button i never skip that even though it's just fucking words going across like a black background i still never fucking skip it because it's so fucking cool like every mm-hmm. single time like it's just i i just love the fact that not only does this take place in the 80s but it, they made it feel like it was made in the 80s and mm-hmm. i've always appreciated that really deeply about this show yes no I, I definitely agree it's yeah aside from the cg which is actually amazingly well done um yeah this could honestly be an 80s movie especially the scenes with the teens later on um the one last thing i'll say about karen wheeler is that i really do love her performance when she's confronting nancy and she knows that she spent the night with steve she knows they have a relationship she knows something is going on there and nancy's still being evasive and just that look she gives her it's like i don't know says it's you mentioned before that she kind of got stuck in this marriage it's like I kind of wonder how much of it was a similar situation just like that for her. I think the actress did a really good job at showing that. Yes, yeah, so again, Cara Buono plays Karen Wheeler, and she's actually, like, it always surprises me, she's actually, uh, her name is listed, like, in the opening, opening credits, so she is, like, considered to be one of the main characters, although, again, it's interesting, like, she's always kind of in the background, but she's a major presence throughout all the seasons she at is. the same time, like, yeah. so I, I kind of see why, why she is a series regular, but, yeah, I'm also really glad, as far as, like, the 80s thing goes, I am definitely glad that they still went the CG route, because, like, if they, if they had 
showed a fucking stop motion claymation demogorgon, I would have been like, I would have been out. I would have been out. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. I, the weird thing about it is like the design lends itself really well to stop motion, but I'm also glad they didn't do that. <laughs> yes. It's like, no, please, God. <laughs> that. I love my exactly. 80s movies, but God damn it, I love the CGI and I love the digital yep. age. Well, it's one of those things that, like, if they could have used CG back then, they would have, too. They would have. It's like, it's yeah. just like... <laughs> they only used stop motion because they had to. That was all they had. Yeah, that was all they had. So they had to. So Thank you, Ray Harryhausen, for some of the greatest monsters in old cinema. But God damn it, I'm glad we're past it. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's exactly I how I feel. The only stop motion studio that I still consistently enjoy is uh, Leica. Well, okay, um, the, that's, that's different, but, that, but that's that's a different thing. Like we're we're talking about like stop motion that's used as a visual effect in a live action project. Oh, no, that's, fuck that. that's fuck that. That's entirely. different. That's different <laughs> yeah. from an animated movie that's using stop motion. That's that's a, that's a choice. Mm. This is a stylistic choice. I'm but. not hating on Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. I like I like Wallace and Gromit. I like Coraline. I like a lot of those movies. Yeah. But I, no, I, yeah. but. Uh, but it's but the way it used to be used in movies like Clash of the Titans or things like that. Yeah, were no, that, like, was, I, yeah. that was rough. Even uh, the first Terminator, where the movie's great, but some of oh, the moments with the kind of stop yeah. motion Terminator near the end are they, it's yep. bad. They don't yeah. hold up well. No. Uh, what about the teen group? Uh, we have uh, J- Jonathan, of course, being the uh, the the middle of the the kind of or the the older brother of the uh, the Byers clan. Uh, I really like Jonathan. I think he's a cool kind of introvert, sensitive, artistic soul kind of guy, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he is he is extremely bad socially, and him creeping on you know Nancy and Steve was. It was creepy, but also he knows it's creepy, and he, like, genuinely tried to make up for it later on as well. Yeah. I like him. He's he's a good, dedicated brother. Um, he is trying to be a responsible member of the family, even before Will gets taken. You know, one of the things that he and his mother clash about is that Jonathan's trying to, you know, provide money for the family, help them out. He's under a crap ton of stress, and he is really terrible at working with people but he's trying to be responsible yeah I, I do genuinely like him even if sometimes yeah he needs to be better about not creeping up on people jonathan is a boy <laughs> i don't think that was up for debate <laughs> he, he's creepy but not like scary creepy <laughs> and I would probably have fun smoking a joint with him, and I love what they do with him later in the se- in the series. But Jonathan is a Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's kind of the thing. It's like what Zach was saying that he he does things that are definitely creepy in the beginning of the show, but he realizes that, and he actually and improves, he and he involves, yes. and he grows past that. You, you realize that, yeah, that he really is just such the, this this shy uh, kid that he just he just yes. doesn't he has a hard time at first like understanding kind of boundaries and but but he, yeah. but he does he does learn and he does yeah. kind of grow past that i think the thing i like about jonathan is that he's not your typical macho male uh alpha role so you know he is this alternative sidekick he's a creepy luke skywalker exactly <laughs> creepy luke skywalker he's yep, got the a- hair for it with the, yeah with that hair oh my god you could definitely tell that she cuts her two kids' hair. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> it's it's meant to look that way and it does. God, the bowl cuts. Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> what about what about Nancy? I think she's a great ode to Nightmare on Elm Street. I yeah. think mm-hmm. more than anything, she is a character that points to one of the roots to this story. Uh, from the very beginning, and you can tell they were planning to get into a lot of these dreamscapes uh, early on with little with little pokes and prods, and Nancy is one of them. Uh, I really like what they did with her. She's a pretty strong female character, and I love that even when she even when she wanders, she doesn't wander too much. She makes a decision and she tries to go along with it. And then when that decision doesn't work, she tries something new. I, I love the archetype that they built with her. She's not your stereotypical scream queen. Like she is a final girl. Like she does fall within yeah. that final girl archetype. She but does. you're you're right. She she's she's more complex the, the more we get in. I, I like the fact that yeah. she's like kind of discovering who she is. Like she is at yes. that age where she's trying to figure out who she is. Uh, particularly in this first season and even even beyond it. That's that's the main thing I get with Nancy is that she has a lot of potential, but she doesn't know what she wants exactly she's working that out she's working out what to do with that potential as well and i do love that you could get the idea this entire time that she's just going to be you know scared and going along for the ride but i like that as the season goes on she does get much more forthright she is actively trying to seek out um barb and you know help her because she feels responsible that when confronted with a monster, yeah, she's terrified, but she's also willing to go out and confront it. Yeah, I, I like her development over the season. I think that the character on the show who goes through the most radical improvement over the entire show for me is Steve Harrington. Like, I always forget mm-hmm. until I go back to season one what what what, what an absolute shit he is in the beginning of the show, and he ends yeah. up being one of the best characters in the entire thing. Like, I I just yeah. love the development and the arc of this character that he you really like at the beginning you think that he's there to be the obstacle for Jonathan getting with Nancy, and then he he grows into something much even in this first season he ends up being a lot more interesting i honestly completely agree with you on on steve uh i think that he comes in as this uh macho alpha male type and they Mm -hmm. twist it they twist it on us that's something that stranger things has above a lot of other shows is they make their characters more complex and they don't take a hell of a lot of time to do it either they don't just do this for 10 episodes and then let's try something new. They're like, no, if this happens, then this character would learn from that and they would change. And I love that they do that with every single one of their characters. And that's what makes uh, a phenomenal show phenomenal. With Steve, it's really interesting going back and watching him this season, knowing where he develops because the first time I watched it, you know, he was kind of a douche. He was a little shit. And going back... He is still a douche and a little shit, but it's clear just through his performance, you know, so much of what Joe Curie is expressing and emoting, that a lot of that is just him not thinking about it. It's not active malice. He's not actively being a douchebag. He's just not considering what his actions are doing. Um, it's thoughtless douchebaggery. Like, even the scene, you know, one of the worst scenes he has early on where... 
you know, he taunts Jonathan and breaks his camera. Like, right at the end of it, his friends, who are the worst, good lord, they're terrible. Uh, oh, Tommy God. H. and Carol are the absolute worst, worst motherfuckers. The more you rewatch, you realize he was actually always kind of better than those two were. And even at the end, they're taunting Jonathan about it. He's not. He kind of looks disappointed almost in himself after doing it. Like, even he realizes that was kind of a shitty move right after he does it. And that's the thing about Steve, is that he does realize that he was a shitty douchebag, and he actively starts to try and improve. And even in this first season, you're right. He, I, his growth is amazing, and not talking about the rest of the show right now, but his his arc over the rest of the show is actually genuinely fantastic. I, I love the growth of Steve Harrington. But even here, even in this first season, I love how he's just not who he's set, he set up to be. The first chance they have for him to start his, his arc change, they take it. When he walks out and that Demi-Gorgon is in there and he's afraid that Nancy and Jonathan might die, he goes back in. He doesn't have to, but he, he goes back in. It says a lot about a character, and I know, know that's later in the season. I know that's later in the season, and he starts progressing before that. But that moment right there changed Steve forever. He was already, whenever he stood up to his friends and he was like, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't yeah. have painted that there. I shouldn't have done this. You kind of see the moment with Steve where it's like, why am I friends with these two? Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. yes. He literally, he's like, why? Yeah. That is good damn writing. I mean, I know that we all love love triangles, but what what about this this kind of triangle? I, do, I will say, I think it's really interesting, regardless of how it progresses beyond the season, I think it's really interesting and unexpected at the end of this season that Nancy is, is still with Steve because she recognizes that he grew as a person and that, you know, J Jonathan is not awarded Nancy at the end of this. I, I think it's an interesting uh, way to kind of end this, this, this first season. I think it's organic. Yep. I think it's good writing and it doesn't feel like a toxic love triangle it almost feels like a polyamorous relationship especially as as it goes along but it's not a polyamorous relationship i mean that's that's the only hope for season five is that yeah you know Na nancy and steve and jonathan all realize like hey come on Let's just, you know, <laughs> just we three do work it. together. Why not? <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a shot of Nancy and these two on an elevator, and it's not. It's for an award show or something, and the elevator opens up. And, them two look at each other and Nancy looks like something's about to happen and then Steve and Jonathan kiss. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's one of my favorite <laughs> clips. And that's what I'm hoping will happen in season five. <laughs> so, They'll be like, all, hey! All I'm saying <laughs> is that it's not a love triangle unless all three sides are unless all three points are connected. Yes. So. <laughs> but, but that's my opinion is that it's not a toxic love triangle. They don't it's see not. each other as enemies. They see each other as competition, but not as enemies. And I, I think that makes the difference. Because usually, usually I'm up in arms and I'm stamping my feet and I'm like, fuck these love triangles and fuck these people that wrote it and fuck them in the cars that they rode in on. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> But this, I don't know, even in the new season, whenever they popped in together, I was like, uh, uh, what? <laughs> But it was, it's still well-written because they respect each other. Yeah, especially by the end of the season, there is actually, like, yes. there isn't respect between Jonathan and Steve at the beginning of no. the season, but I think by the end of it, there actually is, because yeah. 
Jonathan yeah. recognizes that Steve uh, developed and, and improved as a person. And Steve recognizes that Jonathan is not as, as much of a creeper. And like, yes, I think like going through that, that experience together, they both kind of realize the, the kind of bravery in, in each other and that yes. the, 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 of being able to kind of step up against the, 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 the Demogorgon. Uh, what about Barb? Justice for Barb. This became a big thing on the internet after this season came out about, uh, you know, Nancy's best friend character at the beginning who dies a horrible death. <laughs> <laughs> there are just some tragic stories in horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not everybody gets a great deal. Sometimes you just get a, the shitty end of the stick. That's pretty much how I feel about it. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, Barb is... You don't spend much time with her, so you don't really get to know who she was as a person. You do you do know get the impression that she cares about Nancy, that she was a good person, and she really did get a raw deal, but you're right, that's horror. I wish that they had have had her a little longer so that we could have gotten to know her a little better. So yeah. that the death would have been more of a shock. But well, I think that horror. I think that the reason that the internet kind of went up in arms about that, I, I think that the makers of the show honestly didn't predict how much of an instant popular character that Barb was going to be. I think people just really dug Barb, like even just in the, the small capacity that she was in the show. I also think that it, it got a little frustrating for people that Nancy's goal became I have to save Barb and the fact that that goal wasn't accomplished, you know, but it, again, mm-hmm. it really becomes we we, we saved Will, but we didn't save Barb. But I think that the fact that that happens, I think that that just adds stakes to the situation that yeah. not everybody is going to get out of the upside no. down. You know, some people just die terribly, you know, and it's just, that's just the way it goes. It is. What about the kid group? Our D&D party, Mike, Lucas, Dustin, and Will. Of course, Will, of course, being kind of the, the character that we're saving the, the for, for the entire time. But what do we think of the D&D group? I think Will is whiny and annoying from the very fucking beginning. <laughs> I'm glad they took him off screen for most of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas is a little shit that gets jealous over everything. Mike is a Mr. Know-it-all. <laughs> and Dustin is Dustin. <laughs> Dustin, we all love Dustin. Yeah. Dustin's yeah. the best of those. So yeah, Dustin's Dustin's great. Great. Yeah. Dustin was Dustin me as a kid. Is so. a strange little man, but he knows it and he's proud yes, of it, and exactly. that's why I love him. I love the kids. I actually do. Like, I I think that it's it's really me fun too. the way the show kind of uses D and D. Because like I grew up playing D and D. Like, yes. it's like I I'm, I am like one of those that was like, oh, you know, Stranger Things made, made D and D cool. Because like, well, first of all, D and D's always been cool. So write that down. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but I, I really like I I was I was one of these kids like when I was like 12 13 I was I was playing you know I was, I was more playing this the Star Wars uh, tabletop game more than D&D but I was oh, playing yeah. tabletop games as, as a kid and I uh so like I really do kind of relate to, to this to this kid group I I really like the kids like they they are they are flawed but they're kids like I do enjoy Mike I think Mike is a good kind of anchor for the group I think Dustin is a great comic relief character will is in this first season he's he's more the plot device he's the character we're trying to save you know he's he's the character who's in distress and lucas is here too (laughs) (laughs) lucas is also there (laughs) i think i think think lucas is a very honest uh is a very honest child 
I, I, Lucas, Lucas gets better. He just, he just never leaves an impression on me in the first season yeah. for, for whatever reason. Like, yeah. honestly, Lucas is kind of there to stir up shit in the first yeah. season. He honestly is. Lucas in the first season, he's more there to stir up shit and create conflict within the yeah. group. I still like him. I actually do like him, but well, yeah. that is, I think, more so his role. I like all the kids. Even though I, I say Will is whiny, I like all of the kids. I think that it's yeah. a very, it's a very Goonies feel to it. Yeah, for sure. And and like the Monster Squad, I don't know if you ever saw the Monster Squad from the eighties, but it was a group of kids that fought monsters. And well, you look at it too. You look at Stephen yes. King's It also. Like it's it's very much like this. This is definitely a trope, for, particularly from like kind of eighties movies that they definitely use Lean in this show. Me, and it, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it works really well. I think it does. Oh yeah, absolutely. They are annoying, but in the way the kids are, because yes. that's they. I think they're portrayed very realistically in a lot of ways. Again, Dustin being the most likable because he just kind of rocks it and owns it. But <laughs> and Mike is he, he is kind of the face of the group. He's he's the one who is kind of the driving force. Um, he's does take on the leadership quality and. I don't know. Don't always relate to those characters very well, but in, in general, I do still. I I think they work effectively in this story. They are the ones who are immediately open to believing the strange, um, or or more more open to believing the strange and impossible than a lot of other characters are, and that it lets them kind of help push or lead other characters. What's that Facebook style thing where it's done in the neighborhoods? What's it called? Oh, next door next door i definitely think mike at his age that he would be at present day today is definitely one of the shit stirrers in the in the little neighborhood facebook thingy <laughs> stirring shit hey did you see what the neighbors did they threw out like three bags of trash i wonder what's going on over there have they just not cleaned up in a long time i, I see mike that way Oh, really? I actually don't, yeah. actually. Even the longer the story goes on, the more it progresses, I see him like that more and more and more. Not because he doesn't progress, because he does, but he has this knee-jerk reaction. And it's something that you see in leaders, and that's what Mike is. He's a leader. He's the leader of this group. He just has knee-jerk reactions, and they're always, they're usually extreme. <laughs> you see it more and more when he has to deal with Eleven, but uh, I see him have I see him be being a knee jerk, jerk, knee jerk, jerk. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> what what about Eleven? You know this this strange bald girl with uh, telekinetic powers shows up and kind of changes the group forever. Like I think she uh, again one of the, the more interesting you know parts of the show and kind of the main I. Stranger Things as a whole is very much an ensemble show. There definitely isn't one main character, but gun to my head, if you had to like give me like who's the character that you think the show is most about, I would actually probably say Eleven. I think it's I slightly agree. more her story than anybody else. But uh, I think uh, Millie Bobby Brown was the perfect cast for this role. Um, I forgot how rewatching the first season, I forgot how cute she was as a little kid. She's so cute with that little tiny bald head. <laughs> Don't say that to Jada Pinkett Smith. You might get slapped. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I really, I really love the character of Eleven. She has a lot to unpack. And, uh, I think they might unpack her a little too slow, but, 
I really like what they've done with her, and I do consider her. I consider her story the plot A of the of the show. She's she's definitely one of the most obviously interesting characters. She is kind of the driving force behind much of the show. I also got to give props to Millie Barbara Brown because this was a you know pretty pretty early performance for her, and she's already doing an amazing job of covering you know a lot of ground with this character. Um, this is a character who is both really naive about the world in some ways, and also in some ways, much more wise to the dangers of it, um, especially the dangers of her father. Um, she could have gone down a route of being really annoying in her naivete in some ways, but instead, I think they hit just the right level so that it is just endearing. Her getting to know people, getting used to the world. Um, yeah, I think she's fantastic, even in this early season. I think it's really interesting kind of seeing her develop these social skills over the course of this yes. first season. Like, kind of like the way that, that she, she does kind of develop. The way, like, when, when somebody, like, when, when the group tells her, like, these, these kind of friend rules, you know, the friends don't lie, et cetera, et cetera. She really takes those to heart and kind of has that become her philosophy, her kind of her core for the rest of the show. Eleven's my favorite character on the show. I'll go yeah. and say that. As far as, like, the entire show, like, Eleven, Eleven's actually my favorite character. I think she has the best storyline. I think that her, her storylines are always, to me, the highlight of every season. And I, and I really do love seeing what, Millie Bobby Brown does with this character, the writing, the direction that they take the character in. Yeah, I love Eleven. She's she's honestly my favorite character, and you know, seeing that that the kind of contrast between that naivete and then when she goes into her badass mode, you know, she gets that she gets that you know that death glare, and you see that the the blood drip down her nose, you know that shit's going down. I always I do always like worry about her all her nosebleeds. It's like is her brain okay after after. <laughs> All these nosebleeds, like <laughs> I, I do find myself wondering that constantly. Is like, is she, is she just gonna have straight up aneurysm one of these days? Exactly. Go after trying to do that, I I completely agree. I think I she's also my favorite character, and I think that they do a really good job at giving us a monster and a hero in the same body because she's really not a monster, but she's what most horror movies would consider the monster. You know, if regular population knew what she would she could do they would be terrified of her and i love whenever sci-fi gives us that i think the duffer brothers really did a good job at bringing us a new type of hero based off of old lore yeah what about the uh, mike and 11 uh kind of romance that develops in this first season i think that's i don't know i think it's their ages and everything i think that hmm. they'd probably be interested in each other but i don't know my my take on it is that, or at least for me personally, with that relationship, I always kind of thought of it as hormones. She's the most interesting thing, person that entered Mike's life. He's one of the more caring people that she's ever known. They're, of course, going to have, like, an attachment. Did it need to be romantic? No, but they're also both getting to that age. And so I see where it came from. Doesn't mean that I'm the most interested in it it makes sense but i'm i'm not really attached to that romance i'm just saying i don't know why they have to push their their hetero shit in my uh right in my nose just right in my uh -huh. face just wipe it in my face why do i have to see this hetero shit 
Why? <laughs> <laughs> a character a character can be heterosexual. You don't need to explain it or go into it. Exactly. You, know, you don't need to. I don't need to see it in my face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry if we have offended the straights on this uh, podcast. We uh, <laughs> it's gonna get worse. <laughs> no, Dude, yeah, I, I, it's, I'm mainly just worried for the kids. Like, I just, I just don't really want my my kids to grow up seeing all this straight content on TV and have it have it warp their mm-hmm. minds when they see it on TV like that. When they see hetero couples on TV like that, it makes them think that it's okay to do it at home. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We don't, we don't need them thinking any of that's normal, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I just think they're young to have the romantic feelings. I understand that. I, I could be wrong. I, I get that because I was probably more of a late bloomer. I, I didn't really have those interests at, at, you know, age 12 or whatever, but I do think that a lot of kids that age do, that is when they start to develop those those types of feelings a lot of times, and it also does kind of go into, you know, again, the tropes of the, the movies and shows that yes. Stranger Things is in, in, influenced by, yeah, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like it's like it too, you know, yeah. like like with, mm-hmm. with the uh, whole thing with, uh, with Bev and, you yeah. know, the, those those two kids that were kind of vying over her affection too, like it, it, it like it, it makes sense. I don't know. I think they're cute. I think I think it's a cute. It's if it, it feels like puppy love, you know. It's it's like mm-hmm. I, I I enjoy I enjoy it well enough, you know. I, I th- that's the thing. This first season, it's it's puppy love, and I'm totally fine with that. It's like oh look at yeah. look at the, the cute kids, you know, type of thing. And then it, it it gets more complex and it gets more interesting as the show goes on, and we'll, we'll kind of get into that uh, when we get to those seasons. I I think season two and season three is more natural with that with that lovey dovey stuff with the characters yeah. because of their ages. But I'm always open to being wrong. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you're open to it because it happens a lot. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but right (laughs) (laughs) I really like what they do with the upside down on this show. I like that, you know, a lot of times when they reveal the upside down, literally the camera will go upside down as it kind of goes under Mm -hmm. the earth. And I like that it looks like a Ridley Scott movie where there's all this shit and particles flying through the air all the time. Like, it's like, it's it's just really cool. You know, I think the Demogorgon has a really cool design, too. Like, what do you think of those elements? No, I pretty much strongly agree. It's it's such a bizarre alternate dimension in that often when you see those, either it's a place of, you know, complete and total, a different, completely different universe, completely unlike it, but just the deeply unsettling idea that it is exactly the same um, as the normal world, just with all of this creepy shit and it's dark. You have all the human elements sans the actual humans. Um, except the ones who are trapped there. Yes, the design of the Upside Down as a nightmare alternate dimension is, you know, fantastic. Um, I love the Demogorgon itself is just such a terrifying monster in that it can come out of literally anywhere. Walls don't keep you safe. Anywhere in your dimension doesn't keep you safe. And the design itself is... I like how so many people see it as this really creepy offsetting nude human. And then when you get a really good look at it, you know, when it actually opens its mouth and you get a good look at it, you're like, Oh, that's not human at all. That's not even close to human. But I I really enjoy that um, very off putting design um, for it. It is such a, you know, classic, extremely, 
it's it's in the vein of those classic horror monsters, especially um, reminded a lot of the uh, xenomorph from Alien, um, just yes. with the creepy elongated human frame and the instinct for showing up out of nowhere with its weird eyeless face. I love the I love the creature build. I love that it's not like a lot of a lot of things that we've seen before. They've reached deep down and to some of the old style monsters and recreated them and even gave them names that went along with D&D. They do that every season and it's one of my favorite things that they do. It's just it's building on top of something that we already have and giving us something new out of it. And I think it's just fucking genius. They step out of the box and say, okay, we've had all of these creatures. Let's do something a little different. I do also just want to say that it's something that happens in later seasons. I do kind of love how all the teenagers and adults, like this season, they don't do it so much. But in the later seasons, they just immediately start adopting the weird D&D name that yes. people give for it. I, yeah, I love <laughs> that. Like, that. Everybody just goes along with it. Yeah, it's, it's like, like, the okay, this is the Mind sense. Flayer. That's a Demogorgon. This is Vecna, I guess. We we'll need just, words we'll just call for it, the kids so. are calling it. <laughs> It's exactly. It's like, might, might as well. Like, we need something to, to call this. We might as well yeah. call it that. You know, I love that. You yeah. know, it's, it's always the, uh, again, it's always the, the, the youngest of the three groups are, are the ones that come up with these names. And like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's so much fun for sure. It's better than standing there and saying that ugly ass swamp thing. Well, that is actually the full name of the superhero swamp thing is ugly ass swamp thing. They just they yeah. just they just abbreviate it. They shorten it Makes for most sense. like it's actually the name that's actually the name of the ongoing uh comic book. You know, you get like the amazing Spider Man, the Incredible Hulk is the ugly ass swamp, swamp thing. Yeah. <laughs> God, I actually, I do want to start a uh, like if, if 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 for some reason somebody gives me the keys to the Swamp Thing franchise, I'm gonna start a new ongoing comic book called The Ugly Ass Swamp Thing. <laughs> That's gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> <Done>. <laughs> it's just him dealing with the light, you know, living in a suburb and people just like completely freaked out about their neighbor, the Swamp Thing. That's it. Exactly. That's- <laughs> Life was good here until that ugly ass swamp thing moved here. <laughs> <laughs> what about Papa? We got Matthew Modine on this show, kind of in a villainous role. He's like more in this first season. He's more in the shadows for a lot of this season. He doesn't have a ton of dialogue, but Matthew Modine is one of those actors. He just brings a presence to it, he you does. know, and he, he feels like he, even though he's just a dude, he feels scary whenever he shows up. And I, and I, I appreciate his performance a lot. He is the monster. <laughs> <laughs> I've decided that Papa is is like a live action Mr. Burns, just creepier. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> okay, eleven. Now we're just going to look at the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> He's this like mad scientist role, Doctor Frankenstein archetype. But he's just creepy, and he, it's not that he wants to torture these other beings, these children. It's that he doesn't understand he's torturing them. He thinks he's helping them, and he, oh, he's such a fucking douchebag. And Matthew Modine, I think he brings a lot to this character. I think the character is written pretty okay, but I think Matthew Modine really brings a lot 
to this character. It's it's that performance. Yes. The, the scene, the deeply unsettling scene where he's just visibly disappointed and furious that she's not killing a rabbit that's right in front yeah. of her, contrasted with his almost glee that she killed the prison guards right after that. It's like, oh, you are willing to kill people. Oh, good. I love you, child. It's it's all in the performance. It's uh, he's deeply unsettling. He is he is not exactly Frankenstein because Frankenstein never even tried to care for the monster. But he is he is that same role. He's the mad scientist who is definitely more monstrous than his creations. I, I got to tell you, knowing knowing that the that parts of the last season happened before this season, and seeing the way he was pushing her to kill, it brings a whole new layer to it. After seeing the last season and watching the the first season again, I was like, this piece of shit motherfucker. Because he was expecting her to already have the taste for killing. Exactly. It becomes that thing of trying to mold these kids. It's like, yeah. oh, they're still kids. I'm going to mold them into, into these killers type of thing. Yeah, he really is deeply unsettling, as you guys said. And like, I, I love like what Matthew Modine does throughout all of his appearances on the show, which is that it's it's that thing you have to do. When whenever a great actor plays a great villain, it's like in their mind they're the hero, yep. and you feel that with with Papa that you, you know that 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 self justification of everything that he does, and the fact that it's like yeah, I'm I'm the good guy, I'm 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 raising this girl so that she can you know defend America or what, what whatever the fuck he's doing, but it really it really is this kind of power trip and his creepy sociopathic nature. It just yeah, he's such he's such a great uh, villain. I think the creepiest scene with him is when he sits down with the wheelers and he's trying and he's negotiating with the wheelers and telling them that they need to help them. Yeah, that's a good scene. I think that's the creepiest scene uh, with with him showing that showing that he really does think he's the good guy in that situation. He's a good villain. What about kind of going into the climax of the show? Like, there's a thing where, like, we think Will's dead, and then they kind of resuscitate him, and then, of course, uh, Eleven uh, makes makes all the uh, the agents bleed out horribly through all their orifices, which is a pretty uh, grisly scene. Uh, any, any thoughts on just kind of the, the climax of the show? Like, anything, any scenes that kind of stand out for you guys? Not any huge ones. I did deeply enjoy when the Demogorgon uh, leaped up on Papa. Uh, that was well deserved. Yeah, we. Th- I actually did. I was one of the people. I I I thought that he was dead, and then there's there was some hinting later on that he might come back. But I I I I thought that was it for Papa. I was like, well, that's it for it, that's the season one bad guy. We're not going to see him again. Did also deeply worry for Eleven after I thought that she had more or less vaporized herself along with the Demogorgon. Again, glad that's not the case, but... Well, I like that the show leaves it ambiguous at the end. It's like, we're left with this question of, did she survive? But then we're left with that little bit of hope at the end when Hopper leaves out, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, Hopper leaves out the package. Like, it's, it's a good Eggers. way to end. You know yeah, who it's for. Exactly. I do appreciate Eleven's uh, deep love of Eggo waffles. I've always thought that is like oh, yeah. that was that was like my go when I was a kid. Like when I was that age, that was my go to breakfast is just yeah. Eggo waffles every morning. So like it was it was definitely uh, and every time I watch this show, 
I'm always like, like I, I, I would even eat Egos anymore. But every time I watch a show, it's like, man, I, I could go for some Egos right now. And it's like, I'm always like, do I want to go buy Egos? You know, <laughs> it's the single greatest marketing move ever made. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just have a deep emotional connection with Ego. <laughs> I hope they had a sponsorship from Ego. I'm just saying. <laughs> they better be rolling in that they, ego they money. They need to like come out with like a Stranger Things ego where it's like, oh, the, the waffles are shaped like the Stranger Things characters. Yes. I don't know, whatever. But <laughs> I, I really enjoy the culmination of this show. I think that they go really big, and I think on more of a local level. We watching this. If you've ever watched a franchise of horror, you know that they that they followed the the formula to a T and you know there's something bigger coming because all of the answers are not done you know that there's something still wrong with Will. I love that Eleven kind of gets a little bit of peace one thing about Eleven is throughout the show she is just controlled by different people I'm not saying Hopper is a bad guy in the next one and and I'll talk more about that but he doesn't understand enough to be able to give her what she needs. And everybody treats her, treats Eleven like an experiment, treats Eleven like a creature. And you see that in her viciousness when she goes in for the kill. Whenever she or someone else is in danger, she is very vicious. Yeah. And that's because she's being treated like an animal. What I really love about the climax of the show is the fact that we have all these different groups with all these different story threads, and, I, and they do this every season. I love seeing all of it come together. Come together. I love yeah. seeing yes. all the groups kind of converge That's and like, just good writing. And like, like the different parties all become one party. You know, like I, 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 I that, that's what that's what I love about it. It's like they have all these different threads, but all of it is connected and it all comes together. It's really well. The storylines are always. Really Really well mapped yes. out on this show and and, and and definitely in the first season i think I everything's really mapped that. yeah yeah you have this teen romance yeah, i love how it's almost like you know several different unrelated 80s shows coming together it's like you have this teen romance uh flick coming in you have these uh government conspiracy you know espionage <laughs> thriller with hopper you have you know, Joyce having this uh, grief. You have this E.T. storyline with the kids, almost. And it all becomes a completely coherent uh, whole at the end. It's, yeah, it is fantastic. Eleven's cute, but I don't know if she's cuter than E.T. E.T.'s <laughs> uh, e. like a little raisin. He's like a prune. <laughs> uh, I thought E.T. was kind of creepy looking. This weird little, like, shriveled, gray old man With looking little thing. Penis head. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go into our overall thoughts and our score of 1 out of 10. I'll let you start, Liz. Uh, first season came together, well written, well formulated. Uh, they went by an old formula that always works. You could tell that they were, they had an idea of where they wanted to go over multiple seasons. They tacked in a lot of foreshadowing. They also left open a lot so that they could go back and say, what can we draw off of? What can we draw? Oh, we can, you have these lines right here. Uh, all of the actors, all of the actors made their characters complex. And so did the writing. Don't get me wrong. I am not discounting the writing because it's, it's top notch writing in this season. But the actors really, really 
brought out their characters. Uh, you had such a beautiful, such a beautiful combination of writing, execution, and the actors just really understanding their characters. Um, so I have to give, I have to give, uh, this is an eight out of 10, uh, an eight, because there are times where it drags. It has to, I'm not complaining about the slow moments because they were needed. The slow moments come when they're needed. And I like that they don't over explain everything, but there are times where I kind of, you know, get glazed over and have to take a break. Honestly, I feel much the same. Um, writing and performance wise, this is an amazing season. Um, it does a really good job of setting up all of these characters, all their story arcs, and the overarching story, I think, is set up extremely well. It's exciting. Um, it is really moving at a lot of times. Um, you do end up feeling for a lot of these characters and liking characters that you wouldn't have thought so, especially Steve. Yeah. You know, even in this first season, his journey's amazing. I do agree, at times, it can drag a little. You do find yourself wishing you would go back to some plot lines instead of others at a time. But for the most part, none of them really feel terrible. So I do agree, I'm going to have to give this first season an 8 out of 10. It's really well done. I think that this is one of those perfect kind of genre mashups that you get some great horror, you get the 80s coming of age thing, there's humor, there's a, there's a mystery story going on throughout it, and, and it all works together. All of this works together, and it, even though it's drawing from a lot of different influences, what they created feels incredibly cohesive. I agree about the performances, I think the writing is all really good. I actually, for myself, don't feel that for me this this season drags at all. I, I, I that's actually something I found when I rewatched it was that wow, this is like really engaging me the whole way through. And I and I actually even disagree about like you know wanting to get back to certain storylines. I think every storyline for me was equally compelling, and I think that this is a perfect uh, first season. So I am actually going to go ten out of ten for myself. I think that this is a really really strong season of t- TV, and it's it, and it really like this this immediate became one of my favorite shows i was i was pretty immediately hooked on it but having said all of that zach where can the folks find you folks can find me on facebook as zachariah schneider they can also find me on the twitters and the instagrams as zachariah schnet for zachariah s-c-h-n-e for uh you can find me under the liz tory on tiktok liz tory on twitter facebook and instagram and you can also follow my studio and catch up on some of our good comedies. Uh, that's Meadow, as in a field, Meadow Wolf Studios. I'm Sam Wilson. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at SCWilson underscore actor. You can follow my band Gas Station Boner Pills at the Band of Boners on Instagram. And you can follow NerdShit at the NerdShit Pod on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Make sure that you're subscribed to us anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Give us a review. Give us a star rating. Send us a DM to any of our social medias if you want to like let us know how you think we're doing. And if you have any kind of requests for any, any any other movies or TV shows that you'd like to hear us review. Up next, we're going to ring in the release of the new movie Prey, which is coming out on Hulu. And we're going to go ahead and review the original Predator film, Predator from 1987. So stay tuned next week for a review of Predator. For Zack Schneider and Liz Tory, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us today for Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Stay shitty. Nerd, nerd Shit. Nerd shit.